Our reading this afternoon is from the book of Proverbs. This is what Holy Scripture says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Chapter 3, verses 9 to 10. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. Chapter 10, verse 4. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Chapter 13, verse 23. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Chapter 28, verse 27. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Chapter 15, verse 16. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Chapter 30, verses 8 to 9. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. The rich and the poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. Chapter 22, verses 1 to 2. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Chapter 11, verse 4. May God bless the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. Well, good afternoon, and welcome to King's Church. I'm David. I'm the assistant pastor here. And as we continue through our series on Proverbs, today we're going to be addressing the topic of money. It is famously said that Jesus talked more about money than heaven and hell combined, and that is actually true. There are, he talks about that far more than those topics. But it's actually not surprising at all that he would do that. Jesus was a master at connecting with his audience. And there are few subjects more relevant to the daily lives of each person back then and to us today than the topic of money. Most likely, many ears perked up when he began to talk about money because the reality is that we all have to deal with money. We all have to pay bills, buy food, put shelter over our heads, and all of that requires money. Wealth and poverty are realities for us as well. Each person in this room is somewhere on the spectrum of rich to poor. Not only that, we need to acknowledge that in some sense, we are all rich compared to someone living in a third world country. We also need to acknowledge that in some sense, we are poor than those with similar incomes because of Southern California's high cost of living. Just this past week, Jason and I were in Dallas, and I got to see some friends that were living there, and somehow we started to talk about home prices. Well, if you ever want to feel like you're a little poor, just go look at how much houses cost in Texas. So regardless of what category you might identify with, rich or poor, I would invite you today to not close your ears to God's word and to the wisdom of Proverbs when it comes to wealth and poverty. Part of the challenge of reading Proverbs 
is to appreciate the multifaceted perspectives that it gives on, on each topic that it addresses, which when you combine them all together, read, read all in one, then they make up God's truth. We all have a tendency to gravitate toward truths that affirm the way we have been living or that affirm our current view of the world rather than the ones that challenge and provoke us. Not only that, perspectives on wealth and poverty are often tied to the politics of economy as well. So I hope that this afternoon, God's word will challenge our sensibilities on both sides of the aisle because God's truth transcends any man-made approaches to wealth and poverty. So with that, my impossible task today is to present before you the wisdom of Proverbs and what it has to say on this very large topic. And it is a large topic. There are over 120 verses in the book of Proverbs related to this topic, and so there will inevitably be some verses and insights that I simply won't be able to address today. But I believe that most of these verses can be captured into three perspectives on the topic of wealth and poverty. Three perspectives on the topic of wealth and poverty. The first perspective is this. Wealth and poverty when the world runs right. Wealth and poverty when the world runs right. This is perhaps the easiest perspective to understand. When the world is working as it should, diligence, wisdom, right, and faithful living before God is rewarded with wealth and prosperity. In regards to the diligence, Proverbs 10.4 says, A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. In regard to wisdom, the father tells his son in Proverbs 3.16, Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Proverbs 3.9-10 likewise speaks of how even using our wealth righteously in a way that is God-honoring will lead to more wealth. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And lastly, playing off the theme verse of Proverbs, which says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. That's kind of what we talked about in our very first sermon on this series. Proverbs 22.4 tells us, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. And for many of us, this, this dynamic, this way of the world seems to ring true. When we studied hard for a test in school, we got a good grade. Our diligence was rewarded. Some of us have parents from immigrant backgrounds who came to this country with literally nothing except the clothes on their backs and perhaps a suitcase in their hand. And they worked hard. They made wise decisions with their money and their family. They strove to honor God with their life. And many of them have done well for themselves, coming from nothing to a comfortable level of wealth. And there's something deeply satisfying when we see hard work and good character pay off. This past year, I've been overseeing our youth ministry, and while I've learned, among many things, how little I know about kids' TV shows, apparently I've had to be caught up on who Caillou was, I hope I'm saying that right, or Sophia the First, I'm sure some of you parents know what I'm talking about. I've also learned that the youth and I 
share a mutual love for spicy snacks. Apparently, Takis are the most popular snacks these days. I saw all the kids' heads look up. Uh, but Flaming Hot Cheetos, my personal favorite, aren't too far behind. Now, do you know the story of how Flaming Hot Cheetos came to be? There's actually going to be a movie on this soon. Well, it begins with Richard Montañez, who grew up in a small farming town of Guasti in the Cucamonga Valley. Now, for Richard, life with his 10 siblings was hard as they struggled to survive by picking grapes to earn money. School was difficult as well because he could only speak Spanish and had access to few resources. Soon he dropped out of school and began to help his father and grandfather, working on the fields, taking on odd jobs like washing cars and slaughtering chickens. But in 1976, the Frito-Lay plant in Rancho Cucamonga was looking for a janitor. Being illiterate, Richard had to ask his wife to help him fill out the application, and soon he was hired. But before he started, his grandfather gave him a piece of advice. Make sure the floor shines and let them know that a Montañez mopped it. Richard then decided to be the best janitor Frito-Lay had ever seen, and for a decade he worked with diligence even spending extra time learning about the company and its products. In the mid-1980s, Frito-Lay had a downturn, and the CEO recorded a video message, which was given to all of its employees. The CEO told everyone, quote, to act like an owner. And though a lot of people brushed it off as just some sort of marketing or some sort of management speak, Richard Montañez took it seriously. He realized that there were no snacks catering to the Latino market, and after eating elote one day, thought to himself, why not chili powder on Cheetos? So in his naivete, he called the CEO directly and pitched his idea to him. Yet it paid off, and in two weeks, he was scheduled to make a presentation to him. And here's where a decade of excellence, even in janitorial duties and hard work, paid off. Montañez was determined to make the best presentation possible, so he went to the library with his wife and looked up how to create a presentation by by researching all these marketing books. He created a hundred sample bags of his invention, drawing a logo, hand-drawing a logo and design on each package. And he bought a $3 tie, his first ever. The CEO, Roger Enrico, loved the presentation, and the rest is history. Today, Montañez is the VP of Multicultural Sales at PepsiCo, Frito-Lay's parent company. Now, we love these stories because they affirm how wealth and poverty work when the world runs right. Diligence and excellence are seen and rewarded. For those of you who are financially struggling, Proverbs is confronting you with this question. Are you a hard worker? Search your heart. Be honest with yourself. And if you discover that your life is characterized by laziness, by a lack of wisdom, let there be godly sorrow and true repentance as you go before God in humility. Remember that in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation and then seek to work hard and to honor him in all the strength that God provides. And while the verses we looked at can sound as if 
Wealth is gained mechanistically, apart from God, as if working hard and living honestly are are levers that we can pull and, and money just comes out. Proverbs 10, 22 tells us, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Ultimately, God is the one who provides. So if you here today consider yourself wealthy, well-off, or even comfortable, where is your heart at? Has pride seeped in where you attribute your healthy bank account to the work of your hands? Do you pat yourself on your back for your wisdom and frugality and look down on those who are struggling? If this is you today, let there also be godly sorrow and humble repentance as you recognize all you have has been ultimately given to you. For you have been blessed to experience God's design for wealth and poverty when the world runs right. But others are not so fortunate. The world doesn't always run according to God's good design because of sin and brokenness which has entered this world. Which brings us to the second perspective that Proverbs has on wealth and poverty. Wealth and poverty when the world goes wrong. Wealth and poverty when the world goes wrong. In the first set of verses, Proverbs speaks to to the general reality that wealth comes to those who work hard, live righteously, and honor God, while laziness and living unrighteously leads to poverty. But if we left it at that and went home, there could be a lot of damage done. There are some of you here today who have been faithful with what God has given us, what God has given you, who have been diligent, and yet you face financial difficulties. And if we just left it at that, you could go home feeling condemned, burdened, questioning yourself, and if God's word is really true. To prevent such distortions, we need to consider all that Proverbs has to say as other verses continue to shape, refine, and nuance how wealth and poverty work, especially when the world goes wrong. The first verse we need to consider is Proverbs 13, 23. The fallow ground of the poor would yield much food, but it is swept away through injustice. And conversely, and additionally, Proverbs 11, 16 A gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. In a broken world where people sin against one another, Proverbs is telling us that injustice is real. People are taken advantage of and stripped of the fruits of their labor, or even the means of production. Violent, ruthless men become wealthy not through hard work, but through harming and taking advantage of other people. The Bible in no way is dismissing personal responsibility as we saw in the first perspective, but nor does it ignore the larger forces of injustice. And it's not just Proverbs as the prophets repeatedly condemn Israel for ignoring injustice against the poor. And this is where we honestly need to cry out for wisdom. Political ideologies tend to make it all about personal responsibility or all about systemic injustice. But Proverbs rejects that black and white view of the world 
and calls us to a more nuanced view of why people might be in poverty. And it is because of this broken reality, when the world goes wrong, that Proverbs repeatedly calls us to be generous and to respect the poor. I'll admit that I personally was surprised by how often this theme was repeated in Proverbs. Listen to these verses. Whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. Whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. A righteous man knows the rights of the poor. A wicked man does not understand such knowledge. Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Let those verses sink in for a moment. As much as we might not like to hear those words, Proverbs can't be any clearer. How many of us are being generous towards the poor? We might complain that we have so little living in expensive Southern California, yet few of us are genuinely poor. I experience conviction as I ponder these verses. I know that if I look over my monthly spending, I will see many expenses that were unnecessary and could certainly give more financially to those in need. I realize that many of us, myself included, have the attitude of not wanting to give unwisely. But how often does that attitude lead to not giving at all? We might have started with good intentions, but it's all too easy to let selfishness creep in and to deceive ourselves into thinking we're just being wise with our money when we're actually being selfish. I encourage you today to be wise and generous by being intentional Put the hard work of researching organizations that you trust or seeking out opportunities to not just give of your time, but of your money and your resources. Ask Jason or our deacons, Steve and Andy, or even myself if there are financial needs in our church. And likewise, as difficult as it may be, approach us if you do have financial needs. I know there are a lot of people out there with the heart of generosity desiring to bless those who have less. For those of us who have more and might be tempted to idolize money, working ourselves to the bone, again, be generous. Remember that earthly wealth is temporary. Proverbs 23, 4 through 5 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. When your eyes light on it, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. For those of us who have less, be encouraged, knowing that Proverbs repeatedly tells us there are many things more valuable than wealth, and to be poor does not mean that God has forgotten you. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. As we've considered generosity diligence, wisdom, and righteousness today, the reality is that we all fall short. We failed in all of these areas, and we deserve a curse for our selfishness, a curse 
for our laziness, a curse for our foolishness. And one way to respond to that is to say, I'll work harder. I'll give more because that's what's lacking in my life. But God offers us a better way, which brings us to the third perspective on wealth and poverty in the book of Proverbs. The third perspective is this, wealth and poverty according to Jesus Christ. Proverbs recognizes that our biggest problems are not having too much money or too little, though the world wants to say that that is your biggest problem. Listen to Proverbs 30, verses 8 through 9. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Ultimately, the problem isn't whether we have too much or too little wealth. Both can lead us astray. Both can lead us away from God, can lead us to sin against him. And so often we have. Proverbs 11.4 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. When it comes to ultimate things, the day of God's judgment and our eternal destiny Our wealth is of no consequence. What matters is our righteousness. Have we been diligent? Have we been generous? Have we been wise? Today, if you're struggling to be generous, struggling to work hard, struggling to not let your riches weigh you down and ensnare your heart or your poverty to lead you towards bitterness and jealousy, Jesus wants you to see yourself as poor and rich. You are poor because you have nothing to offer God. You have no spiritual wealth or physical wealth to boast of. Nothing to act as your ultimate security and comfort before him, whether it's material riches or moral riches. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We need to see ourselves as poor before him because only then will we recognize that we are needy for what he can offer. And what he offers is true righteousness, a righteousness that doesn't come from within, but comes from without, his righteousness. Our threadbare righteousness can never deliver us from death, but the robes of his righteousness make us right with God. And we must also see that we are rich. Colossians 2.3 says that in him, in Jesus, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And Ephesians 2 tells us that being made alive, raised up, seated with Christ, God will show the immeasurable riches of his grace to us in the coming ages. Only when we follow the path of spiritual poverty, despairing of our good works, to riches in Christ, can we be freed to be generous, to work hard, to live wisely and righteously. 2 Corinthians 8-9 tells us this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Only when you see the beauty and experience the joy of what Jesus Christ has done for you, the richest person of all, who owned the whole world, yet chose ultimate impoverishment, born into a manger, 
into a poor family, experiencing homelessness, affliction, suffering, and experiencing the greatest loss of all, his relationship with the Father on that cross. Only when you see that, when he did all that so that you could become rich with an unfading inheritance stored up in heaven for you, can you live with wisdom and generosity. Jesus entered into a world gone wrong and began to make it right. If you know Jesus today, let us live as ambassadors of this new and better kingdom. And if you don't know him today, he's calling you to experience the riches of his grace. So go to him. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. We need to trust in you daily for our daily bread. You are the one who provides. It is so easy as we look at these verses to pick out the ones we like, the ones that fit our worldview and that don't challenge or provoke us. I pray that we would be a generous church. We would be a church known for our generosity, known for the way we give of ourselves, of our time, of our money, to those who are needy, those who are poor. Because ultimately, we, can, we are only generous through you. You are the one who, being rich, became poor so that we might become rich. So I pray, God, work in our hearts, work in my heart, Teach us that even though our lives may feel tight, that we may feel that we're lacking and we need more, that we have sufficiency through you, you provide, and that in Christ we are rich. Give us wisdom as we discern how to use our finances to the best, to the best of our ability and in a way that honors you. We are so in need of wisdom to parse through our motives, our motives that often lead us astray, whether it's selfishness or bitterness. Give us wisdom, God, we pray. Amen.